You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. It's our weekly podcast where we talk about all the latest trends and we talk to the top HR and business leaders all about bringing humanity back to the workplace. My name is Mike Wood. I am the social media manager here at Global Force, and I'm joined by Sarah Payne. Um, and Sarah had a, a great interview with Adam Grant, who is one of our uh, keynote speakers for Work Human 2017. And Sarah, you want to just Give us a quick preview of uh, what you and Adam talked about. Sure. So Adam has a new book out. It's called Originals, How Nonconformists Move the World. And we talked about how companies can get better at hiring, developing, and recognizing the next generation of original thinkers. We also talked about an interesting idea that he promotes, which is hiring for cultural contribution as opposed to cultural fit. Great. So relax, sit back, or if you're in your car, just kind of stare off into the abyss and enjoy the uh, first part of our two-part interview with Adam Grant. I'd like to start with your new book, Originals. Uh, how do you define an original? Uh, and Do you think people are born originals or can you become one? I think of an original as, as somebody who not only has creative ideas for improving the world around them, but also takes the initiative to make them a reality. So, you know, originals are people who not only dream up ways to improve things, but also say, look, I'm not going to stand and wait for other people to do something about it. I'm going to step mm-hmm. up. And mm-hmm. I think this would have been a really sad book to write if people were born originals. <laughs> that was the end of the story. <laughs> the, the evidence is overwhelming that yeah, we, we all do have different starting points for, you know, how creative our thinking tends to be, you know, how comfortable we are speaking up, but we can all increase our originality. That's good news for us. <laughs> so in the book, you write that great originals are actually great procrastinators. Uh, so do you think there's a stigma against procrastination in the corporate world, and, and how can we combat that? I think there is, especially in a world that's become increasingly dynamic. You know, it's seen as, as a huge liability if you have anybody who's putting off work when you know, speed is the imperative when there are competitors waiting to put you out of business, when work runs 24-7 around the clock. And I think the, the sad effect of that is that people are just operating under constant urgency and time pressure, which mm. is a great way to get them to rush ahead with their first ideas, but mm. not an effective strategy at all for getting them to think through their best ideas. Mm. And yeah, I don't want to suggest that everyone should be a procrastinator all the time, but I did find in some research uh, with a former student, Jihei Shin, that uh, that when people procrastinate, one of the things they do is they give themselves time to incubate. And mm. they consider lots of different ideas instead of that first one that was easy to think of or easiest to implement. And I think we need to give people the time and space to, to have those kinds of ideas. So what do we do about that? I think one thing that, that really helps is there are a bunch of Fortune 500 companies that have started instituting quiet time policies mm. where, for example, at a, a Fortune 500 software company, they said, look, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings, no interruptions, 9 a.m. to noon. Mm. And that's time for you to, to do creative thinking. It's time for you to work on problems that haven't been solved yet. And then yeah, you can start interacting and sharing your, your insights after lunch. Uh, another example that I really like is, is Warby Parker, where every week they have all their employees write up 515s. 
It's supposed to be an idea that takes you no more than 15 minutes to write and no more than five minutes for anybody else to read. And you get to collect those ideas and, and they're available and that way you don't spend your entire job just delivering and focusing on results. You actually have time to step back and, and think about what kinds of problems need solving and mm. how you might approach them in an innovative way. Yeah, because if you're always running around with tasks, it's hard to incubate really good ideas. <clears throat> Sad but true. So my next question is about uh, social recognition. Um, Global Force is, as you know, a social recognition company. What role do you see social recognition playing in developing and encouraging originals? I, I think it's huge, and it's something we don't talk about enough. Mm. The reason being, if you look at the, the evidence, one of my favorite studies, and I say favorite because it's one of the most disturbing, showed that across industries, if you ask people about their biggest suggestion or boldest idea, 85% of them stayed silent instead of speaking up. So imagine you have an insight or you know, a direction that you think is really promising. It could be a new product or service or just a better process or a more efficient way to do your job. And the vast majority of people say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone ever. <laughs> and then the question is why? And most people think it's fear, and fear is a factor. But much more important than fear is futility people wandering around thinking, you know, I'm not necessarily going to get punished if I bring this idea to the table, but I just, I don't think anyone's going to listen to me. It'll fall on deaf ears and it's not going to go anywhere. So what's the point? And I think that recognition is one of the best antidotes to that. Mm -hmm. um, we have, we have lots of studies showing that if you recognize the kind of behavior that you're looking for and sort of highlight that to other people, they start to see, oh, this behavior is valued. It's encouraged. This mm -hmm. is something that will be appreciated around here. And so I think when you recognize people who have contributed great ideas, then it sends a clear message to a whole workforce that says, look, you know, this, this kind of behavior is not only safe, um, it actually does move the needle around here. And it's mm -hmm. worth spending your time developing and generating ideas, but it's also really worthwhile to, to voice them because other people will take notice. Well, something else you talk about in your new book is groupthink uh, and how it can kill originality. How do you think about groupthink? Well, the sad reality here is that I think about groupthink exactly the same way that most other researchers do. <laughs> it's either a sign of groupthink or a sign of reach clarity. Not sure. But you know, I think the, the consensus definition of groupthink is when people start to, to engage in basically consensus seeking. And everybody's looking at a problem in the same way. And convergent thought is valued as opposed to divergent thought. Uh, which is obviously dangerous because mm. you start to stamp out creativity and innovation. You end up getting trapped in your own beliefs, and it's pretty easy, excuse me, pretty easy then to become a prisoner of your own preconceptions. Mm. And if everybody sees the world the same way and shares the same beliefs and assumptions, you're just waiting to get disrupted. What do you think is the best way to foster a strong culture you know, with similar values but also value and dissent, as you were just talking about? Well, I think one of the mistakes that um, I see a lot of leaders make is they say, you know, we, we don't want to just hire stars because we know that, that values are important. And so when we hire, we're going to prioritize culture fit. We're going to bring in the people who, you know, who really live and breathe our core principles and who are going to identify with our mission. And if you're a small startup, that turns out to be really effective. So startups that, that prioritize culture fit instead of just hiring stars or, or people with the current skills that they need are less likely to fail and they're more likely to go public, which is mm. great. 
except afterward, the ones that place a premium on culture fit have the slowest growth in, in annual market capitalization. Mm. And I think what, what happens is, you know, early on culture fit is useful because you end up with this uniquely motivated group of people who you know, are really marching in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And there's total clarity and passion around what matters. But as you grow, culture fit becomes a proxy for groupthink. Uh, mm-hmm. And you end up you know, bringing in a bunch of people who see this, the world the exact same way that you do. And you really weed out then diversity of thought. So yeah. the best solution to this that I've seen is at IDEO, the, the great design firm that made the mouse for Apple. They said at some point, look, you know, we, we have all these design thinkers who are excellent at solving problems, but there have to be other ways that, you know, of looking at creativity and, and approaching you know, the, the different kinds of issues that our clients bring to us. So how do we get better at that? And mm-hmm. they said, well, the way we do that is we don't look for culture fit. We look for cultural contribution. So instead of you know, trying to figure out what's present in our culture and then clone it, we're going to ask what's absent from our culture. And then we're going to really search out people who can bring in something that's missing and enrich the culture. And that's the way that we keep our thinking fresh. And so in their case, they said, look, you know, we, we are constantly going into new worlds that we don't understand yet. Like we were asked to redesign a shopping cart. We, hmm. we, we pushed shopping carts, but we never built them before. And let's figure out who's good at, at that. Well, that's what anthropologists do for a living. They go and understand unfamiliar environments and, and try to make sense of them for the rest of us. So they start hiring more anthropologists, and suddenly they're like, these people are amazing. We should only hire anthropologists, <laughs> which, of course, misses the point. And then they say, all right, the moment we feel like we should be bringing more and more of one background is the moment we need to diversify again. So then they say, well, who could help us really translate what the anthropologists are learning for you know, different audiences and stakeholders? And they say, well, well actually, that's a storytelling skill. And they start hiring now more journalists and screenwriters. And I think that's a great example of how you continually look for, for enriching cultural contributions as opposed to just cultural fit. So that's the first part of our two-part interview with Adam Grant. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Work Human or Global Force in general, please visit the Global Force blog at www.globalforce.com backslash gfblog. As always, a full transcript of this interview will be available on the blog, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode with Adam Grant, where we will be talking about what, Sarah? (laughs) So we talk about feedback. Uh, We also talk about gender equality in the workplace, something that Adam is really passionate about. And we talk about this idea of psychological safety, what it is and how we can get better at it in the workplace. Great. So tune in next week for part two of our interview with Adam Grant.